all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax, and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ships, she bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household, and a portion to her maidens. She considereth a field, and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength, and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor, yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom and her, her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. We read God's word that far. Our text is taken from verses 29 and 30, especially verse 30. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. May God bless his word to our hearts. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the calling to be a Christian woman, whether single or married, is one of the most difficult callings in the kingdom of God. Single daughters, as they grow up to be teenagers, are bombarded by the world. The pressures of the world are not that which would encourage spiritual godliness, spiritual beauty, nor the fear of the Lord. The girl is viewed as an object of carnal lust by boys, by men, In order for the girl to be popular and accepted, often she has to prove herself in that sense of being an object of lust by her appearance, by her prowess at sports or whatever else. Young Christian girls are continually being subjected to that kind of pressure from the world not only, but tragically also from men and boys within the church. Our text sets forth the true beauty of a Christian woman. Her beauty isn't skin deep. Her beauty isn't something that fades. It's not the kind of beauty that the world seeks after. The true beauty of the woman is found in the hidden man of her heart, which is not corruptible. It's found in the wonder that she fears the Lord. And that's something that will never be lost. It's something that's only going to grow as she grows in sanctification 
Our sinful flesh can be attracted to outward beauty and sensualness. And the world tries to corrupt our perceptions in that regard. The church gets affected by that. So that young men now get caught up in that thought process. Young women get caught up in the idea that their body has to be thin, even giving themselves to disorders in eating. Young men become vain with regard to their appearance. And they also, rather than seeking a wife from among the daughters who are God-fearing, are tempted to pursue someone then from the world based on their looks or their ability. This text directs us to pursue the one who is God-fearing and rejoice in that one. This is the wise word of God as he directs us to what truly is beautiful in his eyes. There's the Christian young woman's desire to be married. A good desire, pleasing to God. But it may be that God takes some time. He doesn't readily provide that young man for that woman. And the temptation is great then to start looking beyond the church to try to look outside try to find a man that would show interest in me maybe start throwing myself at men and using my body to do so in order to try to entice them the pressures to forsake God for a man become great and then in addition to it when God does give a young woman a man in marriage There are trials in marriage that make it so difficult to be a godly wife. There are the husbands who are not walking in love as they ought. There are the pressures of the world and the pressures in the workplace that seek to destroy that marriage. There are pressures that lead those women away from their husbands, away from their children, so that it becomes extremely difficult for the young woman to live in submission and obedience to her husband. And finally, there's the desire for children. At times, God does not give the God-fearing woman that desire, or he only gives perhaps one child, or maybe children that are not those of the sex that husband and wife would desire. Where God does give children, there are struggles against the flesh and against the world again that views motherhood not with the honor, not with the glory that the Scripture does. And many women then respond to those kind of pressures and no longer want to be at home with their children. They're not living their life out of the fear of God with their husband and with their children. So the life of the godly woman is difficult. And this is why it's difficult to find women who fear the Lord. This woman is a precious gift of God's grace. She holds the scriptures in high regard, even trumping her own desires. Thy will be done is her confession as she walks in the fear of God. And you young men need to be looking in the right place. And when you see one who exhibits that fear of God, don't take that for granted. Cherish that one and live daily in thankfulness for the place that God has given that one in your life. We look at that, the God-fearing woman noting her identity, her strength, and her blessedness. A woman that feareth the Lord. That's the way she's described here in Proverbs 31, verse 30. The word of God brings out the true beauty, the wonderful calling that God gives this woman. She fears the Lord. 
Now that's what it means to be a man, a woman before the face of God. To be one who fears Jehovah. Now this morning our focus is on the woman. The fear of God is central in all of our lives. A woman, therefore, is not identified in God's eyes, first of all, by her beauty or her friendliness or her strength or the things that she's able to accomplish. All those are secondary, and they flow out of the primary truth that's taught here. What is it that identifies her? She fears Jehovah. That's her beauty. That's her strength. That's her glory. She belongs to the Lord, body and soul. And belonging to Jehovah God, she loves to serve her Lord. And that's evident in her life and in her conduct. Her service of the Lord is that which is first and primary. He bought her with his precious blood. And now her life is to serve him in thankfulness and joy. We need to hear that, beloved, today. What does it mean to be a woman? How do you as young women wait on the Lord? for a husband, for children, or for the grace to bear, whatever it is that God has ordained for your life. There's only one way. Walk and live in the fear of the Lord. As you experience struggles and as you experience difficulties in life, this is what will sustain you. And this is what will encourage you as you live out of that fear of Jehovah. Now what does that mean? We need to dig into that a little bit more. What is the fear of the Lord? We understand, we understand the fact that there are two different kinds of fear. There's that fear that pertains to terror. That fear that is characterized by the response of the wicked to their idol gods. They're filled with terror with regard to those idol gods. Those gods are held before them as that which will punish them and terrorize them and therefore... As most religions set forth fear with regard to God, it has nothing to do with reverence. It has nothing to do with love. It has everything to do with terror. Living daily in absolute dread because of what that God might do to me. And so there's the superstition that comes with it. There's all the attempts to try to conduct my life in such a way that I appease those gods so that they're not moved with such anger toward me. That's not the fear of the Lord that's being spoken of here in Proverbs 31. The kind of fear that's talked about here in Proverbs 31 is the kind of fear that is spoken of throughout the whole book of Proverbs and through the scriptures. It's that which is a trust, a reverence, a holy awe. It's that which constitutes a submission to God, confessing, Thy will be done. And living in the consciousness that he's the Lord of my life. And my life is to be lived before his face. And in obedience to his will. That's what the Bible repeatedly speaks of when it talks about the fear of God. It's the acknowledgement of one who knows who he or she is. As a blood-bought child of the king. And now lives his or her life in the service of that king and lord doing so out of thankfulness out of praise knowing who i am knowing the greatness of the majesty of god and now seeking to show forth his praise in whatever i take up that fear is a gift from god god gifts that fear to his children as he regenerates them as he gives them life that's from above and that fear then shows itself 
in our walk and conduct. Now initially Adam and Eve, after the fall of, into sin, feared God with a terror. They realized that they had chose for the devil apart from God. But then God, in his grace and mercy, called them to himself, and they wouldn't come, and so God revealed himself to them. In love, God came to them, and God worked in their hearts in that cool of the garden a wonder. He gave them a promise, a promise of a Savior through Jesus Christ, and he worked in them the knowledge of that fear, that trust, that looking to him for strength and the assurance of forgiveness. Those who fear the Lord embrace him in love. They confess he alone is God. And they live their life in such a way that his honor, his glory, his reverence, his awe is that which dictates all the decisions they make in their life. It dictates every aspect of their thinking and their thought process. The fear of the Lord is first and foremost. And that's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is taking God's word now and what God teaches about himself and now living in a manner that reflects that concretely. Seeing myself in light of the perfection of his glory. Seeing myself as a creature, guilty, a sinner, one who deserves nothing. I don't deserve a husband. I don't deserve children. I deserve absolutely nothing. And yet God in his mercy has made me know the wonder of his love and his care for me. And my life now is to be lived in worship to this great God. I fall on my knees and I praise him and I exalt him as the one who is worthy of all honor, all praise, confessing he is the one alone who does all things well. He's guarding and directing my life in such a way that is good. He's the one who's brought me the joy of my salvation. And he's the one who will lead me now through the course of my life in all the struggles, joys, and challenges perfectly. Not forsaking me, but holding me by my hand and guiding me by his counsel. So that when something comes up, I look to him. I reverence him. I trust in him. When someone or something is so glorious, so spectacular, means so much to us, our life is lived then, not only in the presence of that one, but for the sake of that one. And we're willing to give up our own desires, give up our own passions, our own Thoughts because of this one who's done such great things for me. We see the power and the majesty of our God. We see this God who's faithful to his covenant, who preserves and keeps us. And we reverence him. We honor him. The one who fears the Lord then is the one who knows God in all of his infinite splendor. Who knows God as the unchangeable, eternal God of heaven and earth who knows God as the absolute, mighty God of power and submits to him then. The woman that fears the Lord, she knows God, she reverences God, and she trusts and submits to God. Now where that fear of the Lord is present, beloved, it's going to affect the whole of my life. There's going to be a tremendous 
influence on my life. When I know that I stand before this God as the living God, that he's the one who sent his own son, who paid the price that was necessary to save and deliver me from sin, to know that he's faithful, he'll never leave or forsake me, to know him as he is revealed in his word, as the God who created all things, who redeemed me in Jesus Christ, who bought me with his precious blood, then I know who I am. I'm not just a sinner. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I'm a sinner who lives now every day in thankful praise to this great God for what he's done for me. I can't live my life apart from him. Every morning I wake up, I'm in awe of what he's done for me, that he chose me, that he gifted me with the wonder of salvation, that he gives me faith, that he strengthens me day by day, that I have purpose in my life. And that my life has significance now as a child of God. All found in Christ and what Christ has done for me. The one who fears the Lord knows then my calling before this great God. I'm called to serve him, to obey him, to love him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. In all my thoughts, all my motives, all my words, all my deeds, I'm motivated by this glorious truth. The fear of the Lord. I trust him with my life. He knows better than I the course of my life and everything that's necessary for me to endure in order that he might bring me to the fullness of that covenant bliss. He's my father. And as my father, he loves me and nothing can separate me from his love. And so as you take up your labor then in the home, as you spend time with other girls or other women, as you spend time with your children, with your husband, you're conducting yourself with reverence in loving awe of this God who is my Heavenly Father. That fear of God needs to be cultivated in our lives. It's a gift from God, and God gifts that wonder to us. But God gives us parents, children, and God instructs us as parents to teach our children and to direct them in the fear of Jehovah. That starts then with reverence toward parents. You need to have a fear and reverence toward your parents as those whom God has appointed as your spiritual head. Now some may say, but I fear God. And then they refuse to obey their parents. That's not fearing God. If you fear God, then you're going to obey, you're going to reverence the parents whom God has placed in authority over you. And you're going to honor them. If you refuse to honor and obey your parents, the fear of God is not evident in your walk and in your life. The fear of God will move you to love your parents for God's sake and to honor them as those whom God has put on your pathway. The fear of God will move you to obey your parents for God's sake. And it's the fear of God that moves your parents to discipline you and to train you in order that God and his glory are foremost in your thoughts and the decisions you make. And so as parents, we ask ourselves, are we teaching our children to fear Jehovah? Are we making this a matter of prayer? Are we consistent in our discipline? 
Is this our desire for our children and for our grandchildren? That above all else, they fear the Lord. Now ultimately, again, God is the one who's able to work that fear in their hearts. And we're dependent upon Him. And we pray that Jehovah work that wonder in the hearts of our children according to His good pleasure. That fear of God then is going to show itself in your relationship and interaction with others. God gives you the grace to crucify your own lusts. To say no to your own desires and passions. And to submit to His will, confessing it alone is good. God gives you the grace to put Him above all of your ambitions. Above all of your own interests. You've got goals, you've got ambitions. But what comes first? God. And because you fear God, you're willing to give up those things in His service. Specifically, the fear of God will move the godly woman then to live her life for God, not for self. And when God gives her a husband, to live her life then through her husband. When God gives her children, to live her life then for the sake of her husband and children. This godly fear is the fruit of faith. God who loves us, who sent his own son for us, works this faith in our hearts. And he gives this gift to his elect daughters. A woman who fears Jehovah. What faithfulness of our God. What a precious gift that God gives to his church. Now where is her strength found? Her strength then is found in that fear of God. That's the point that the passage here is making. Favor is deceitful. Beauty is vain. A contrast is being established here. And the contrast is this. Wherein is her strength? Wherein is her beauty? Wherein is her joy? The fear of God. Not beauty and not favor. The word favor here is used to refer to words and actions of one that are meant to try to win over the acceptance of someone. Perhaps one begins to flirt, begins to maybe show attraction, tries to do things in order to attract someone to them, using their beauty, using their skin, whatever it is to try to attract that one. That's the idea here of favor, that flirting that attempt to try to attract the attention of someone so that that someone now loves you and delights in you. Instead of relying on godly fear and the work of God's grace in your heart, you think that you can attract friends, boyfriends, by your own work and your own actions here. And so what do you do? These are actions then she takes up to try to get attention. Putting her hands on the guy. Flirting with him. Showing him her skin. Giving him her body. She's engaged in ways to try to attract this one. Why isn't he looking at me? Why do these boys just walk past me? I have to try to use my favor to try to get their attention. And so these actions then are intended to try to snare these young men, to bring them into her favor, to get them to say that they love her, that they care about her, that they find her attractive. 
Many a young woman is caught up in this temptation. And tragically, many a young man caught up in that snare. Be warned. This is the way the world would identify the beauty and the strength of a woman. Her body. Her outward beauty. And so in the world, the strength of a woman is found in her sexual proneness. She's able through her own body and through her actions to draw the eye of a man, to get attention. And the world says, if you're a young woman and you want power, if you're a young woman and you want a spouse, if you want influence, use your body. Dress skimpy. Turn your beauty and your charm on and do everything you can to draw the attention of these young men. Is that your response, young women? May God forbid. That's not the woman who fears the Lord. This beauty, this charm is deceitful. The book of Proverbs is given to that warning. Chapter after chapter warns not only the young women about going down this pathway, but also young men. Beware of the woman. And much of that instruction, as it's aimed toward young men, we need to hear and we need to heed as young men. Young men, beware of the charm and seduction of a woman. She may try to lure her, lure you to follow her. She may try to use her body, her ability to draw you and your attention. The Bible says you're following fool's gold. What does that mean? It looks good, but there's no value there. It's shallow. There's no fear of the Lord, and that's true beauty. And if there's no fear of the Lord, rather than benefiting you, rather than assisting you, it's going to cost you dearly. It's not going to satisfy your soul. And the Bible speaks in this term. The woman, that woman, who's using her favor, her beauty will deceive you because the more you get to know her, the more you're going to find she's selfish. She's self-centered. She doesn't care about you. She doesn't care about God. She just cares about self. She's conceited. She just wants what she can get. She's interested in what she wants and what will satisfy her desires and to use you to make her look better. And when she's finished with you, she'll ditch you in order to find another who can satisfy her and make her look good and feel well. And so as young women who are tempted to act this way, to dress, to conduct yourself, that's vain. You are tempted by the devil to dress in such a way that will attract the eye. By your actions and by your dress, then you show yourself to be the deceitful woman that Proverbs here warns against. Is that really the way that you want to present yourself? Do you realize what message you send by your clothing then, or lack thereof, by your suggestive actions? That's not one who fears the Lord. The woman who fears the Lord doesn't try to identify herself that way. She doesn't want to be a sex object. She doesn't think of herself, first of all, She thinks of God, and she desires to be known as God would have her known, and she desires to walk and to live in a manner that gives glory and honor to her God. 
Now, that doesn't mean that she's not beautiful. The Bible openly talks about the beauty of a woman. Sarah, Rachel, Bathsheba, these were all women that were beautiful. There's nothing wrong with making ourselves look beautiful. But the woman who fears Jehovah is careful to understand. My focus is not on outward beauty. My focus is on the fear of Jehovah and living out of that fear. Outward beauty is like a mist. It's like a vapor. It's here today, gone tomorrow. And that's the point of the text. The outward, youthful beauty, it will go away with time. It fades. But the fear of the Lord grows. It increases with age and spiritual maturity. Her beauty and strength is found in her love for God and her devotion to God and her obedience to God. And she seeks friends together with whom she can live in the fear of God. She seeks to find a mate who with her will fear God and keep his commandments. And so that's why we read here then in verse 29, many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. There are some that have accomplished things on earth. They've been able to make a name for themselves. Maybe even they were able to come up with a lot of money. But this woman that fears the Lord stands shoulders above them, excels them all. The strength and the beauty of this woman are in her selfless labors. Proverbs 31 identifies her. She's a hardworking woman. She's dedicated. She's devoted to her husband and children. That's what comes out in the whole chapter. Everything she's doing has her family's best interests in mind. And she's busy then doing everything that she does for the sake of her husband and for the sake of her family. She's not a woman who's looking for herself. She's not a woman that pursues time for herself. She's not a woman who looks at her husband and children as inconveniences that are to be worked around and pushed aside so that she can pursue her own desires. She's a woman who sees her place as a servant of the Lord, called to serve God in the place and position in which God has placed her. God gives different gifts. He gives different abilities to each. And we're thankful for those different talents, those different abilities. Not every woman has gifts in sewing or baking or housekeeping, but that doesn't make her less of a woman. The point of this text is this. The woman that fears the Lord that's the woman who is pleasing in God's eyes. Her beauty, her strength, her ability, that's all secondary. Flowing out of that heart that loves God is her service in her household, toward her husband and toward her children. And the motivation of all her work and all her labor is she's a servant of God. God bought her with the price of his own son and she delights now to serve him in the relationships and the place that God puts her. Her home is the appointed place that God has given her as a wife, as a mother. God gave her that husband out of love. God knew what he was doing when he gave her that man. And God clearly in his word says, Thou shalt not covet another man. And so she thanks God for that man. She looks upon her children as gifts from God, given out of love. And she views them as such. Seeking to use what God gives her in his service and for his glory. And this is seen from the context of the text here. In that she's vigilant with regard to her household. She looketh well to the ways of her household. She sees to it 
most importantly, that the fear of God is manifest in her household. She's not a hypocrite, one who's living one way but then expecting something different. She desires that God's fear not only live in her own heart, but that it be evident too in the life of her children, in the life of her husband. And so she's vigilant in directing and guiding her home in such a way that the spirit of that home is not materialism and covetousness and greed and the pursuit of vain favor and beauty, but it's Jehovah. She seeks to direct her household away from disrespect, ungodliness, immodesty, in order that it be a household where the fear of God is central. And she sees the threats out there. And she understands the temptations that her children face. And so she sees to it that her home is a home where the word of God is central. And her husband supports her. Her husband is thankful for her. The children rise up and call her blessed. He must see to it that this woman is honored. That this woman is obeyed in his household. We read a verse, in verse 26, She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She's one who exhibits wisdom. She's one who's known as one who's kind, compassionate. She's identified by how she conducts herself and how she talks. Because her speech is governed by the word. She's a woman who's in the Word. And so her talk with other women, her talk with her husband, her talk with her friends, her talk with her children, it's wholesome. It's spiritual. She's not a gossip, a backbiter, a slander. She seeks to teach them about God, about the ways of His kingdom, about His glory. When she opens her mouth, it's with the fear of God directing her conversation. And she knows the mercy and the love of God in Jesus Christ. And she knows that love of God personally. She knows how undeserving she is of it. And so she seeks to forgive even as she's forgiven, conducting herself in a manner that shows evidence of that in her relations with others. She's a woman who comes alongside other women, as Titus 2 talks about, to encourage them, to build them up. Beautifully, understanding her place within the church of Jesus Christ. And as such then, she's blessed. She shall be praised. Now we notice there's not much time that this Christian woman leaves for herself. If we read Proverbs 31, we find out she's busy. And we find out all of her labors are taken up for the sake of her husband and her children. Very often she may think there's no time left for her. And we understand that busyness as a mother, especially in the home with many children. But let's understand that busyness is not necessarily bad. And let's remember this, the more important the service that God calls us to give, the less time we're going to have for ourselves. The more important the service that God calls us to, the less time there's going to be for us. We need to remember that. Why? Life is not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about how I want to spend my time. Life's about God and about the fact that this God has called me to a service, a glorious service, 
A service that demands of me my time, my energy, that demands of me more than I feel I can give. But I look to him in it, thanking him for the privilege in which he's placed me. And as I realize there's not going to be a lot of time for myself, I remember God's word that in giving I shall receive. This is true not only of the God-fearing woman. This is true in so many other instances in our lives. If we don't take that perspective, we become bitter. We become resentful for the place that God has put us, the responsibility in which he puts us, the service to which he calls us. But we remember God and our fear of Jehovah. Her price is far above rubies. That's the testimony here in Proverbs 31. There's no way to estimate her value. That's what that's getting at. Far above the most precious things that we might delight in. There's no way to think about her value other than perhaps this way in the negative sense. What is the impact of an unbelieving woman or wife on a household? A mother that's not faithful, what kind of impact does she have on children, on a husband? What happens to that home? The home is destroyed. The children are subjected to the temptations of the devil, which soon have the upper hand. The husband finds himself in a situation where he is, as again the Proverbs speak of, with a brawling woman on a housetop. There's confusion. There's turmoil in that home. Children often scatter to the wind. And later that woman then complains, my children don't want nothing to do with me. Is that the wife you want to marry, men? Do you want someone who's outwardly beautiful? Someone who's seductive, perhaps? Or do you want a wife who fears Jehovah? One who puts God first in her life. Many women have obtained glamour and fame and honor. Many women have married for wealth. But the one who fears Jehovah excels them all. God has blessed our congregation and our congregations with such young women. And so as young men, we don't look to the world for a wife. We look from among the people of God. We look for one who exhibits this fear of the Lord in her heart. And among God's people, that faithful woman will be honored with grateful love. Children and young people, don't have a big mouth toward your mother. Show love toward her. Realize the situation and circumstances in which God has put her. Understand the challenges that she faces. Husbands and fathers, don't abuse your wife. Don't treat her ill. This woman is the apple of God's eye. She's a gift from the Lord. And she belongs to Jesus Christ who redeemed her and purchased her with his own blood. Now she's not without sin. She doesn't always conduct herself in a manner that's conducive to that fear of the Lord. Neither do you. Neither do I. But regardless of our weaknesses, we confess that precious gift from the Lord. And we don't know if we're going to have our mother tomorrow or not. 
we make sure that we don't take her for granted. That we live in a manner that shows our love and our thankfulness and our appreciation for the fear of the Lord as He gifts that to women and to men in the church of Jesus Christ. The testimony of the God-fearing woman continues through her generations as in her generations her children look back and they see in her the power of God's grace. As her grandchildren, her great-grandchildren look back in amazement. How could she live through the depression? How could she be so committed to her family? How she loved her church. Memories of her doing Bible study, her reading her Bible, her devotion in prayer. God's grace working that wisdom, that loving discipline that she exhibited, that holy example that was hers. And as husbands, do you appreciate the selfless labor of your God-fearing wives? Although the years may cause that initial beauty to fade, maybe even the common likes aren't the same as they used to be. Maybe we can't enjoy the activities that we used to enjoy so much. But the bond of marriage yet grows. It becomes more intimate. Why? Because the fear of Jehovah is at the heart of that marriage. Not vain beauty and favor. The man who has blessed, been blessed by the Lord with a God-fearing wife cannot begin to count his blessings. He's rich, and he lives daily in thankfulness to his God. Her value far above rubies. And as the wife, the woman, lives for God and for his glory, the praise of her husband and the praise of her children bolster her and enable her to press on. Her husband leaves work in the morning, and he trusts her. What a marvelous thing for a husband! And what a wonderful thing for a wife to know and to feel. He knows his family is in good hands. And he trusts his wife is going to teach the children and discipline the children as a godly example. That she's going to be a godly example to those who come into contact with her today. He doesn't worry about her filling her time flirting online with someone. He doesn't worry about her sitting around all day being lazy and getting nothing done. Perhaps watching television. He trusts her. The heart of her husband trusts her and knows that she serves God and knows the wisdom and the kindness that will be exhibited in her life and that she will be a woman who today is going to be in the Word and in prayer. And the woman feels the gratitude and the love and the trust of her husband and her children. And as she feels that, she's equipped to press on she knows that her labor is for the sake of God and for His glory. A difficult labor, but the encouragement of her husband bolsters her. The strength that her children provide results in encouragement as she presses on. Her work is not in vain. It's for the Lord. And she can see evidences already in a way of that fruit and the marvelous blessing of Jehovah God. Husbands give thanks to God for the gift of this wife. Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Proverbs 18, verse 22. 
And as life takes us down its pathway and as the way becomes more challenging and difficult, we look to God and we find our strength from Jehovah and the faith that God works. God is the one who's worked that fear in my heart. He's the one whom I love and delight in. And he's the one whom I serve. And God's the one that puts me in all the different circumstances and situations of my life and works contentment. He works peace. He works the grace that's needed. So that Solomon says, who can find such a woman? This is the handiwork of Jehovah God by His Spirit, beloved. God alone is able to prepare and equip such a woman in His church for the sake of His kingdom. And God alone is able to turn a woman away from her own ambitions, her own desires, her own career, and all of her thoughts to give her life and to use her talents and abilities for the sake of her husband and her children and her church. God alone is able to equip and to strengthen such a one for her service. And God preserves her and keeps her and gives her the grace she needs day by day. Thank God for that grace and for that strength. And thank God for the precious gift of His Son and the power of His Spirit by which we press on. Because women and men, we can't measure up to everything that the Word of God sets before us. Women can't measure up to everything that Proverbs 31 sets here forth. We look to Jesus. And we remember, God gave me a Savior who forgives me who forgives me all my sins, all my shortcomings, who strengthens me far above anything that I think I'm capable of, anything that I could ever do of myself, and that He is my strength and my song. And so I don't become overwhelmed with my own weakness. I confess my sin. I pray for grace to overcome, and I go forward in the strength that's mine in my Savior as I serve Christ as my Lord and my Master, His working, His work in and through me to the glory of His glorious covenant as my sympathetic, faithful high priest. And we look forward with all the saints to that glorious reward when we meet our Lord. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And as much as ye have done it unto the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, what thanks we owe unto thee for the wonder that thou hast worked in our hearts. Cause that we might live out of that fear of Jehovah. Cause that we might be thankful for the men, the women whom thou hast placed in our lives for good. And strengthen us that we might cherish and treasure these precious gifts and that we might ever be thankful. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.